0: on to the science fiction story number one science fiction written by empty space that doesn't make any sense then again, Moccasin perked up his hearing as a guest muttered something along those lines. Normally, you'd assume that it was just to translate a translator problem, but when your guest is an ambassador from a recently contacted species that could probably win a major war with you, it is good idea to keep them happy. The ambassador from the Keralia had been looking at the manifest of what humanity had to offer in exchange for something that the Keralia's list of that daemon was reading in another room. Moccasin didn't know what was on that list, but given the hushed tones she took talking about it, humanity is probably in for a deal of its life. today. The ambassador was looking at the cultural manifests, which as parts that were irritating to explain even to other humans, so Markinson was hoping that this eventually would never happen. Even still, he leaned over to him and asked which part. The ambassador motioned to a specific part of the tablet that he was reading off of. SCIENCE FICTION It's an oxymoronic. Science is by definition is made up of verifiable fact. If it is fictional, then it is not science. How can you have a fictional science? Marcuson decided to not inform the ambassador of pseudoscience. Science fiction isn't a type of science, it's a type of fiction. Novels written by great authors about things that aren't necessarily true. But these types revolve around advanced technologies beyond what we currently have. Wormhole, FTL travel, food replicators. Have you had such things? Why were they not on the technology manifest? Are you withholding your most impressive technological feats from us? Crap. No, no, of course not. We don't have those things. We can't do them. Not yet. But the authors from that specialize in science fiction write about them. Why? The single word, Why? has been a tricky part of Marcuson's life ever since he was a first child of two. It was around then that he realized there were never a good answer to why since there were almost always an infinite number of answers. That moment, besides being the one who was first understood the meaning behind because I said so, it was the primarily shaped his answer. Marcuson shrugged. I'm not sure. I can guess. Please do. Money? Authors of all types sell the works and people who enjoy reading them will buy them. The ambassador considered this answer for a moment. Then I assume that this um, science fiction is the most popular type of fiction you have. It would take a lot of people buying it to make that kind of drivel worth writing. No, not really. It's only half of the fourth most popular. Then why do you write it? Remembering something from his own childhood, he motioned for the ambassador to come to the window for him. From the lounge of the final approach, most of the Saharan desert was visible and the grand sunrise was coming behind it, but the earth wasn't what Marcuson wanted to show the ambassador. Do you see those guns on the side of that ship there? The ambassador looked at them. I do not believe I saw guns under the technology manifest, because the guns aren't the technology. On the ground, we have machine guns with rotating barrels so the heat generated by firing it wouldn't melt any individual barrel. In our vacuum, though, there's no air to cool off the barrels, so the design doesn't work when we mount them on the side of a starship. I failed to see the connection. I'm getting to it. The solution that we came up with, that I'm sure is on the tech manifest, is called Electrofluid Cooling Shroud Tech EFCS, to just one barrel surrounded by water or some other fluid like it. As the weapon fires, the barrel heats up and the fluids rise in temperature with it. Then, the fluid is pumped out through a series of pipes that extract the heat energy from the water as electricity, and then the new cool water is returned to the barrel shroud where it can collect more of the barrel's heat. After five seconds of continuous firing, the weapon powers its own pumps and starts contributing to the power supply of the ship at large. I still fail to see how this is relevant. We're almost there. These guns are pretty much universally called by everyone Faringer guns. Do you know who Faringer was? A weapons inventor, the first person to put together a working prototype. No, that was Jessica Spisvov. Faringer's, the named after my grandmother's grandfather, Mike R.M. Faringer. He was a science fiction writer and the first person to have the idea that would later become a Faringer Guns, writing about a similar weapon in a book of the long sight. Marcusen turned to these guests, ignoring the window now. That is why we write science fiction. Inventors build and create, but they get their inspiration from people who dream about how the world could be. There. Was a dream about a portable communication device that could allow you to talk with someone miles and miles away, wherever you or they may be. And not 40 years later, they existed. Now there are dreams about FTL engines that can send you across the galaxy in an instant. And because nothing captures the imagination better, I'd bet something close to it will exist within our lifetimes." When the nations of the world still saw people as different skin tones as needing to be separated, it was a science fiction show that gave us inspiration to many people by portraying people as very colored working together in harmony. When technology advanced, it was because some sci-fi author had dreamed of it and someone wanted to make it real. As a look of understanding crept over the ambassador's face, Marcuson couldn't help but smile. In my opinion, science fiction bears the most responsibility for pushing us ahead. No one can progress without dreaming. End of story Story number two Humanity's Hidden Quality Written by Anti-Money Squandering I read the reports, Admiral. I've seen the footage. I've also seen the statistics on our ships, our soldiers. So explain to me again why we're losing this war. The Baltrusk Admiral kept his gaze on the floor, his huge bulk supported by three thick trunk-like legs. He risked a small sigh through his tusks before raising his eyes to the High Chancellor before him, a far less physically looking Baltrusk. The High Chancellor's angry snort of derision, however, and a shake of his small, ineffective tusks carved with religious iconography and denoted his rank. The Admiral leaned forward on his foreleg, bowing his head in deference. In terms of pure statistics, yes, we have the advantage, I Chancellor. The Chancellor snorted again, glancing around the equally unimpressive Baltrisk until they joined in his derision. Humor me, Admiral, in what areas are we superior to the mammal race? The Admiral straightened to his full height, his heavy metal slapping on the armor-plated torso. They were forged from trophies taken in combat, from enemy weapons, armors, and ships. They rippled across his chest, testament to the triumphs that he had brought the Trisk Empire. He exhaled slowly as he now defended his recent losses. Biologically, we are greater, he began, flattening his long ears and his scalp in faint disgust as he saw some lean in, eager to be told of their superiority. We are far bigger than the humans. Our strength is equal to at least three of their adult bulls. They have no natural armoring and their skin is soft, easy to tear and break. They have no claws and their teeth are weak, ill-suited to the use in combat. Their sensory organs either match or are weaker than our own. They have no thermal vision, for instance unconsciously the admiral placed one claw tipped hand on his head and a deep pit mark between his four eyes as they were taught as hatchlings his sensitive membrane resided here allowing them to see the heat of the prey the chancellor was a dull gray was was the bald risk he waved his scepter impatiently towards the admiral they were faster than us however he continued muttering complaints from the galleries that is to be expected given their reduced size Yes, they are very adept at running away, the High Council equipped, to snickers and gnashing mouths. Their weaponry is crude, the Admiral said, and now he looked at those gathered around him, watching as they quietened under his gaze. Many of their guns still fire solid matter projectiles. Recently, they have built a more conventional plasma weaponry, we suspect from salvage boltrisk weapons. Cries of thievery echoed around the chamber, but the Admiral focused his gaze on a female seated next to the High Chancellor. She tapped one ornate tusk thoughtfully. So, uh, they're adapting then, learning from us, from others. The Admiral beat his chest in agreement, feeling a slight relief at her intervention. It was short-lived. Adapting, yes, but recently, snarled the High Chancellor. Then it should only be recently that we were losing. But that is not the case. The admiral finished for him, wearing he. His mottled grey hide was pitted with plasma burns and scars. One of his left eyes had faded a dull black and provided only blurred, dark images. He glanced down at a scale-covered four claws that had torn through countless aliens asunder, countless humans, yet still they advanced. It seems their soft skins have a quality that we did not take into account, something that we could not quantify. The chamber was silent now. Boltrisk of all standing were leaning forward, waiting, listening with ears held out from wide from their heads. The Admiral gazed back at them and wondered what they thought he would say. What mystical quality did this young mammal race possess that allowed them to wreak havoc through the galaxy? What trait did they have that the mighty, logical Boltrisk did not? To their surprise... He began a deep, rolling laugh, the sound reverberating through the room. Luck, he said finally, and the chamber burst into a cacophony of shouting. He closed his ears to it, breathing calmly, his eyes fixed on the liver gaze of the high chancellor in front of him. Admiral Bard Quell, he began, and while his voice was quiet, his rage was apparent in the gentle shaking of his tusks. Do you mean to come before this gathering, to come before me and tell us that these half-haired four limbs are uh, lucky? The Admiral stomped his forefoot, his own anger beginning to bubble and to deepen his gut, an anger that had sent a comrade and enemy alike fleeing for their lives. He ground his teeth together and spat the words between his tusks. High Chancellor, we have heard it from the captives firsthand. When tortured, when threatened, when offered their lives in exchange, they say the same. We humans are a lucky species. We always win in the end. The gathering began to grow louder once more, but the High Chancellor silenced them, slamming his scepter heavily into the ground. He descended the dais before stopping just before the far larger admiral. Listen to me, Bardqual. The Chancellor hissed, There is no such thing as luck. It has been disproved aeons ago. There is no lucky species. There are no inherent favoritism woven with the physics of reality. It is madness. There is no luck. The Admiral leaned over the smaller Boltrusk, who began to back away in alarm before remembering his station and the myriad of eyes currently on him. The Admiral's hot breath poured over him. "'I know there is no such thing as luck, Chancellor. "'I know the humans are not blessed in some obscure way. "'The problem is,' he turned slightly as the doors to the chamber burst open "'and a boltress galloped into the room. "'They believe it.' "'The newcomer fell to the ground before them, "'tusks shaking as if few deep breaths into aching lungs. "'Well,' snapped the High Chancellor, "'why have you interrupted our meeting?' The younger Baltress sucked in a couple more breaths, eye starting between the irate Chancellor and the expectant Admiral. He raised himself shakily upon his three legs. The humans, High Chancellor, they've broken through. They're coming. The Admiral turned and was already galloping for the door before the Chancellor had a time to react. He ignored his shouts, already tapping on his wrist console to mobilize the flagship for action. As he canted from the room, he bellowed back, and hysteric humor called his words. May luck be on our side, Chancellor. End of story. And that, my friends, concludes this dose of science fiction fun. I hope that you enjoyed. And if you did, please don't forget to support the author from the link down below. But if you want to support this channel, there are links as well down below for you to help with. But the easiest way would be to share this video. And if you're so inclined, subscribe as well. I will see you all in the next episode, and I hope that you all have a fantastic time until then. Cheers.